are times that the good news just can't wait. It was the summer of 1996. Trish and I were moving. We literally were homeless for that summer. We began raising our support as a missionary couple to serve with Missionary Flights International out of South Florida. Trish was going to work in the office helping with the administration of the ministry, and I was going to be a pilot mechanic. We needed to raise about $3,000 a month was our target goal. We had to have about $36,000 a year to live on as missionaries. And so we toured New England during the summer of 1996. We begged, borrowed, and stole our way into every church we could possibly get into to cast vision about how the Lord had called us to serve him in a very technical capacity at that time by flying and maintaining aircraft in Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And so we wrapped up our time in New England. We went out to the Midwest where Trisha's mom and dad were living at the time, and we were based in Minneapolis. And this, I know this sounds quaint and funny, but we went to Kinko's, and we took actual pictures that we had with us of the aircraft and, and some time that we had spent in Haiti, and we typed up some stuff, and, and we, we taped them to the paper and then photocopied it so that we had like our own color brochure with color pictures. And that's how we did it in 1996. And so we went to Kinko's, and we had our brochures ready. And again, we were touring as many churches in Wisconsin and Minneapolis and Minnesota as we could uh, get into to cast vision and raise support. And we got our support level up to around $2,000 a month, which was great. But we were about $1,000 short or so, which meant you can't really go and start the work as a missionary until your support is up to where it's supposed to be because then you're just a liability to the organization instead of being able to, to work full time. And so we were waiting for something to happen, and I forget we were out doing a chore running around Minneapolis somewhere. And we got home, and we could tell that Trisha's mom and dad had some news that they wanted to share with us. They, they didn't want to talk about how our trip went or any other thing, but they had received a phone call, and it bore some really, really good news. My father-in-law's parents, well, they weren't nice people. <laughs> they, they were highly educated cranks. <laughs> I'm really trying to keep, this is a PG church, I'm really trying to keep it. They weren't nice people. They were cranky and old and cranky. And they had called their son, my father-in-law, and unbeknownst to anybody, without saying anything to anybody, they bought us a house in South Florida and gave it to us and said, here, th they're not Christians. They don't like Jesus at all. In fact, they tried to talk me out of becoming a missionary pilot. Her grandfather sat me down after my college graduation and said, what are you going to actually do with your life? And when he found out that I was actually a commercially rated pilot, he's like, oh, good. Perfect. Once you get this out of your system, you know, you can stop, you can go get a real job and support my granddaughter. So, I mean, that was this guy. They bought us a house. They bought us a three-bedroom, three-bathroom, 1,741-square-foot townhouse in West Palm Beach, Florida. And said, here's the deal. You live there for three years, save the mortgage payments. It's about 500 bucks. Save the mortgage payment for three years. And at the end of that time, Use that money as a down payment, buy us out, we'll sell it to you for whatever the principal remaining on the note is. So they maintained the mortgage for three years, and then we bought it for, from them for what the note value was after that three years with the money that we had saved. What a tremendous blessing. 
completely asked for. That was some good news. And no wonder Trish's mom and dad were excited to share it with us. So we flew down to West Palm Beach to meet them, and they gave us the keys. Uh, and as we found out years later, that's the house we're living in where Benaiah was born, and we sold it when we moved back to New England. And we found out that they would, from time to time, in their unique fashion, would come to visit us, and they would just break in. <laughs> We learned the value of putting a broomstick against the slider doors because her grandparents would break in for surprise visits just to make sure that I, you know, they weren't really sure that I was going to be able to provide for their granddaughter's needs as a missionary. And I think they didn't want to do spot inspections. And so they've both passed away now, and, and I hope they're in heaven. Uh, but the, they, they were the catalyst for some of the best news that we'd ever received. That obviously got our support level where we needed to be, and we were able to begin in January of 19. Sometimes the good news just comes in. If we had come home from running our errands and Trisha's mom and dad had sat us down and asked us about how our errands went and how the traffic in Minneapolis and St. Paul was, that would have just been really weird because they had good news and it really, really, really couldn't wait. Like we needed to pack our bags and go to the airport to go receive this place that had been provided. We're going to find in today's passage that sometimes the good news is bigger than anything we can imagine, and it just needs to be talked about. That really to spend our time talking about anything other than the good news is, is really kind of a waste of time and leaves people wondering, like, why didn't you start with that? Why have you been wasting my time with the other? We've been going through Moses' call. The sermon series is entitled Step Up because God has been challenging in the context of the burning bush scene at the base of Mount Sinai to step up. And God has been discipling Moses through this conversation, taking him on a leadership journey, asking Moses to take his people through a very similar journey. And so we've seen that Moses has had some questions. Moses has had some concerns about this stepping up request from the Lord. And today we're going to be taking a look at Exodus chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. You can read along in your Bibles or with the words on the screen as we present the fourth and next to last complaint or argument or question that Moses has for God as he's being asked to step up, beginning in, chapter, in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because I am slow and hesitant in speech. In the Hebrew, it, it says, I have a heavy tongue. My tongue is heavy. Yahweh said to him, who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. The first promise that God made to Moses was that God would be with Moses. Moses, who am I that I should go and lead my people on this exodus, on this journey? And God said, I will be with you. It's not so much who you are, it's who you're with. And, and what, what, who should I say sent me? Well, you tell them that my name is Hayah, that my I am who I am. Who I was to your forefathers, I am to you, and I will be in the future. That's who you tell them. It's my new name, and it's the name I'm supposed to be named for all of eternity. I am who I am. That's who sent you. Well, what if they don't believe me? And he gave him three times, and we talked about the New Testament parallels to those three signs, that we have better and more powerful signs as New Testament believers. And today, Moses says... 
I'm, I have a heavy tongue. I've never been good with my words. I'm, I'm not going to do credit to your message. You see, Lord, when I give this news to my people, and especially when I give this news to Pharaoh in his court, there's going to be follow-up questions. And I'm really not glib. I'm really not the guy that's going to do justice to your mission. You would be better served if you found somebody who could be better with their words than me. What's interesting about that is that if you remember how Moses was raised from the time he was six, right from the time he fled Pharaoh's presence when he killed the Egyptian when he was about 40 years old, that of all the people on the planet who had received training on how to speak and how to present themselves well, you could say that Moses was probably in the top 1% of people of that time who had actually been trained by the best and the brightest of Egypt, who was, who was in its heyday at the time, in how to elocution. It's a thing. And Moses had probably received more training than anybody he knew on how to present information in a way that would engage his listeners. It doesn't mean he didn't have a heavy tongue. It didn't mean that he was good at it, but he probably received more training than any of his contemporaries of the day. Most trained guy on the planet when it came to speaking well but yet he could not speak well. He basically asked the Lord, can you use me in a way where I don't have to stutter? Can you use me in a way where it doesn't rely on my words? Is there some way that you can use me according to my strength? And honestly, the answer is no. He's a shepherd. You know, I mean, he, he, he guides animals. And, and the answer was no. He needed to use his words. He needed to share this message of God's deliverance of his people to his people. And he needed to be bold, and he needed to lead, and he needed to use his words. What's behind Moses' complaints here, notice that he doesn't ask for healing. Notice that he doesn't say, Lord, you know my tongue is slow. I'm not quick on my feet. I'm not really that polemical, rhetorical guy. I'm just not clever with my words. Could you, could you heal my tongue? Could you heal the connection between my mind and in my tongue. Could I just be really witty and quick? And when Pharaoh has his concerns and his complaints, I'll just be ready to go with the, the right response. And then I'll do better justice to your message if you make me glib, if you heal my ability to speak better. He doesn't ask for that. Well, why, why doesn't he ask for that? Because Moses' issue wasn't his tongue. Moses' issue was his heart. And we're going to see that next week. What needed healing was not his tongue and the connection between his mind and his tongue. What needed healing was his heart. He didn't want to be the guy. And the Lord had promised his presence. The Lord had given him a new name. The Lord had given him signs. And the honest truth is that Moses' fear was greater than his love for God. That Moses' fear was greater than his desire to send this message of freedom to his people. That Moses' fear was foremost in his mind. And, and not his tongue didn't need to be healed. His, his heart. His heart needed to be worked on. And so we see the Lord's reply, and we can summarize it this way, that really what the Lord says is that it's, Moses, it's about obedience, it's not about ability. He repeats his promise that he will be with him, and he, and he gives him another promise, and he says, I will give you the words to speak. You just need to go. You need to put yourself in the situation where the message can be given. I will be with you. I've already promised that. I'm repeating it. And I will give you the words to speak. You just need to go. God basically says, it's really about obedience. It's not about your ability. It's never been about your ability. It's been about the fact that I 
him with you. You see, the message that God had asked Moses to deliver to the nation of Israel and to Egypt, delivering the nation of Israel after 400 years of captivity, was much bigger than Moses' mouth. It was a huge message. There were approximately a million people who were living lives as slaves, had been for the better part of 400 years, and God wasn't about to let one guy who was less inclined than someone else to speak to get in the way. The message was way more important than how well Moses was going to be able to enunciate or proclaim the message. Here's the big idea, and this is what God is communicating to Moses. That, Moses, I gave you three signs. But by you going and speaking to my people and speaking to Pharaoh, Moses, you're the fourth sign. Moses, you're the fourth sign. Your presence, not being able to speak well. There's only one reason a guy would come out of the desert after 40 years looking the way you look with a heavy tongue and stand up and say the kind of things you're going to say. You're the fourth sign. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Nobody in their right, nobody without an army would do that. I am sending you to give a message of freedom to my people. I'm going to back it up with my presence and my signs. You're the fourth sign. You're not polished. You're not glib. You're not good with your tongue. I think I probably knew that. Moses was the fourth sign. His presence was the fourth sign that God was doing something that people needed to pay attention to. We see this with Peter, right, in the New Testament. After the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and, and Peter has betrayed the Lord three times according to the prophecy that Jesus gave. He feels terrible. He goes out fishing. Jesus has, in John chapter 21, breakfast on the beach, restores Peter, asks him three times, Peter, do you love me? Yes, I do. You know I do. Then go feed my lambs. And he does. The greatest sermon ever given in the history of the church is by Peter on the day of Pentecost. So much so that the listeners are like, who, who is this guy being trained by? Who is this guy been hanging out? Like he has a Galilean accent. And we all know that if you have a Galilean accent, you're not highly sophisticated or trained. But listen to the words coming out of this man's mouth. We know that this is God the light. Peter was the message. It was a great sermon. But what God had done in Peter's life was so evident and powerful. Peter was the message. In this case, Moses was the fourth sign. His whole person, being defined by obedience, preached a much more powerful message than any words he could say about pack your stuff, it's time to go. Don't let the dough raise, you gotta go. Those are important words. But his presence, his obedience, Moses, as a leader, was the fourth sign. Much more impressive than the actual words that Moses was going to share with the leadership of Israel and with Pharaoh. Here's the big idea this morning. Obedience beats ability every time. Say it again. Obedience beats ability every time. The Lord is honored by our obedience through our weaknesses and even disabilities. I love Nike Shine. I do. I, I, there's something about working with folks with mental disabilities that just gets me. Um, I'm, a, I'm a crier. I cry just about every Sunday. I cry at just about every superhero movie I go to. Definitely at Star Wars. I'm a crier. I'm a weeper at night to shine. Like, it's a hot mess. I just... It's like the party I always wanted to go to but never found. 
just the purity and the innocence and the, the passion and the zeal. There's really only one thing about Night to Shine. And, and I hope that when we have our new facility that we'll be able to host an event in eastern Connecticut. That we'll be able to host our own Night to Shine. Just passionate about it. Love it. Except the dancing. I hate it. Like, I mean, Trish and I have done some ballroom dancing together. That's fine. Like, if I stand close enough to my wife, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. It's like, woo, she's amazing, and that's cool, and time with her is time well spent, so yay. But, ah, this is not ballroom dancing. It's like move it, move it, shake it, shake it dancing. I don't have it. I hate it. I dread it every year. Because I know I'm going to be paired with someone who has been looking forward to this day for days, if not weeks. And they are going to be saddened by me. And I don't want to be that guy to be sweet. Like, I wish I could just be this incredible dance machine. And we brought some incredible dance machines this year. I mean, we brought some people who could dance. And that was awesome. And I'm so grateful for that. The Lord has been kind to me in the two years that we've been a part of Night to Shine and that neither of my friends for the night were very interested in dancing. And so I truly appreciate the Lord's kindness, but there's nothing in me. I am not an able dancer. And there's nothing in me that wants to learn how to be an able dancer. And yet I need to go to Night to Shine because I love it so much. It's, it's, it, it's the clearest illustration I can provide of how I just obedient feet ability every Obedient feet ability every time. Maybe next year is the year where I'm going to get paired with someone who just needs to dance. I don't know what will happen. I've never been so tempted to get liquored up in my life. Maybe that's the key. I don't know. Hip flash. Can I get drunk one night a year? It's for the children. Obedience. What would help me dance is if you came with me and we could just kind of dance together. I think that would help. Like, maybe next year you guys can all come, and, and along with some of the ones that can dance and some of them. If I'm with friends, then I think that'll be what. Because obedience beats ability every time. And if there were more of us together, maybe maybe all of our dancing game would, would go up. I don't know. Obedience beats ability every time. Our presence at night to shine is the sign. That's the gift. It's not really so much our dancing ability or or how good of a buddy we make it that we want it to be. Obedience beats ability every time. I want to run you through something real quick and I derived it from the study of the text. It's kind of a quick summary of uh, the, the, the conversation that Moses has been having with God because here's the deal. Our message is way bigger than Moses' message. His message is big, right? The promised people of God are going to be delivered from bondage, the most powerful army on the world, and they're go he's going to part the Red Sea. He's going to descend in fire. He's going to write on stone tablets. He's going to lead them by day with a pillar of cloud, and he's going to lead them by night with a pillar of fire. And when they build a big, fancy tent made out of goatskin, his presence is going to stay fixed 
over it. And there's going to be a room inside that tent that's so holy that if you go in there on any other day than the anointed day, you die. God is going to do a thing. Moses is the catalyst. Moses has a message. I made your mouth. I'm the one who knows who is deaf and who is not and who can speak and who can't. You are the message. It's much bigger than your mouth. Obedience beats ability every time. Declare freedom to my people. Pack their stuff. They've got to go. Our message is for hundreds of generations. He had a stick that he threw on the ground and it turned into a snake. We have the resurrected Jesus Christ. He, he could change the color of his hands. The power of the gospel can change someone's heart. Water turned to blood. And we have the power and the testimony of communion every single month. You want to talk about, Moses would happily leave his staff, stop messing around with his arm, and forget about the water in the Nile if he knew Jesus. Our message is so much bigger than the deliverance of a million or so people 3,000 years ago. It is the power to bridge. They were just going to leave Egypt and go to the promised land. And they're not talking about heaven here. Moses' message didn't have anything to do with heaven. It just had about not being slaves anymore and moving to a better place to live, a land flowing with milk and honey. Our message is translating people from earth to eternity. We have a really, really, really big message and it's so easy to forget that it's so easy to say well i'm not good at this or i'm not good at that or i don't want to mess up my relationship with so-and-so by making it weird and 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 i understand all those things i experienced them myself but listen to this metric and i'm just going to kind of summarize this the scripture for the past chapter and a half or so in answer to this question when is it time to say yes despite my mistakes? When is it time to step up despite my logical and rational and reasonable problems? There's always a reason for a rational no. When is it time to step up regardless? When is it time to work through our fear, understanding that obedience beats ability every time? Stop depending on our abilities. God is not honored in our strength. Surprise, Nathaniel Yanovich sings like an angel. That's a strength! Like, are you honestly surprised when he starts to sing that it sounds amazing? No, he's a Yanovich. That's an ability, and the Lord uses it. Praise God for that. If somebody else stood up here and started opening up their mouth and singing, like, look at Ryan, you're laughing. If Ryan got up here and started singing and it sounded amazing, we might actually meet Jesus that day. That's what I'm saying. God is honored in a special way when we are obedient. Ryan, don't touch me. Don't touch me. (laughs) The Lord is honored in a special way when we are obedient. Obedience beats. He knows we're able to do certain things. Who's amazed that I have a halfway decent sermon today? Honestly. I have a pretty good string of them going right now. Like, can I just be, like, who's surprised? Yay, for Josh's ability. But what the Lord really chooses to honor is when we operate in obedience to a clear and compelling call. There's always a reason for a rational no. When is it time to say yes, despite my misgivings? Summary of God's argument with Moses. Number one, is there a clear scriptural call? Is God asking us to do something that is clearly scriptural? Such as, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, 
and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that I have commanded them, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. That would count as a clear and compelling call. It's repeated in every gospel. Phrasing is a little different, but there's not one great commission. There's four great commissions. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each state that we go and make disciples, encouraging people to make decisions of faith, teaching them about Jesus, encouraging them to be obedient to baptism. Clear, scriptural call. Number two, is it something God would do or if he hears? Is, is, it, is, it, is it something God would do himself? And, and we have to look at the ministry of Jesus and, and, and the kinds of things that Jesus would do. Number three, will God's nature and or personality be revealed? We saw this last week. God is fully God. He's sovereign. Jesus never backed down from his claim. Will the nature or personality of God be revealed by our obedience if we step up? Have we received assurance, guidance, a sign? So do we have a clear scriptural call? Would it uh, be something that God would do personally if he is here? Will God's nature or personality be revealed by our obedience? And have we received assurance, guidance, or a sign? Personally, we've received some kind of personal assurance from the Lord, be it in the scripture or a conversation or a song, that God has asked us to step up in some way or another. And finally, will it challenge and freak you out? <laughs> will it make you scared? Will it drive you to your knees? If there's something that you feel that way about, it's probably an opportunity to be obedient. It's probably an opportunity where God is asking us to step up. And the one that I'm talking about the most this morning is, of course, the clear command from Scripture to share the gospel, whether it be in words or in kindness, uh, but to simply use our words, not taking any excuses like Moses made. It doesn't matter how glib we feel or how powerful we think our stories are or any other thing. Will we be obedient to use our words to share the gospel message? And now you might have a, a more particular or personal area in your life that you're thinking about. Maybe the Lord is asking you to step up that meets these criteria from the scripture. But this morning, kind of focusing on um, are we willing, outside of our own fears and natural no's, to talk to somebody about, about Jesus in, in any way that we choose. And here's how I would kind of like to wrap up our time together this morning. Because here's the great prayer uh, for this morning and our time together. is Heavenly Father, would you move my heart to share your message? Right? It's a, it's a Moses prayer. Lord, you need to fix Moses' heart. His tongue's heavy. Probably had more training, blah, 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 all that stuff. He was not inclined to open his mouth at all. And he was using it as an excuse. And the Lord reminds him that he's the master of all things, but he just needs to be obedient. His presence is the sign. His presence is more powerful than the words that we would ask him to share. And so the prayer from this morning's scripture is this. Heavenly Father, would you move my heart to share your message? And so there's a little River Church note card. You can grab that thing, and hopefully there's a pen as well. And here's what I'd like you to do. We opened up our time together this morning praying that someone would join us. That the only thing that could complete our worship and our fellowship would be if someone was with us that is currently not here. That our relationship 
would go to new places if we could share Jesus together. So we pray for that person. Maybe it's that person. Maybe it's another person. We just jot their name down on that card. You don't need to show anybody. In fact, let me just, you, you don't have to show the card to anybody if you don't want to. So don't feel like I'm going to have you do anything odd or strange. It's, it's for you. It's for you to, to stick it in your Bible. And I thought if we put it on a River Church card, you might link it to Jesus, and then you'd actually put it in your Bible instead of throwing it away. There you have it. So write someone's name on that card that in a perfect world, you would have an opportunity to love them and share the gospel with them. And, and maybe they would respond. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe it would be a full gospel presentation. Maybe it would just be an invitation to church. But you would at least be able to take a step in that direction. Write that person's name down. And then we're going to pray again for those people. And then the only other thing, two things, that I, I would appreciate if you write on that card. Write today's date so that when you stick it in your Bible or hang on to it, you'll know when you started praying for this person in this way. And then if you're willing, maybe there's somebody here that can encourage you in this conversation. Maybe there's someone here that you'd be willing to say, hey, you know, I'm going to pray for so-and-so. Maybe you'd share their name with them. Maybe you wouldn't. You wouldn't. doesn't matter. But, you know, as time goes by, w- would you be faithful to ask me how so-and-so is doing? And if I've continued to pray for them and if the Lord has given me an opportunity to share the gospel with them. So it's an accountability person. Maybe it's someone who's here. Maybe it's someone who's not. So two names. First name is someone that you would love to have come to church just to hear and let the Lord do what he's going to do or, or that you had an opportunity to share the gospel with. And two, a name of someone that maybe even after church today, you'd be willing to say, hey, you know, would you kind of ask me every once in a while about how it's going with so-and-so, that, that, that if the Lord would give me the courage to remind me, to strengthen my heart, to move past my rational fears, to share your message. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the person that the Lord put on your heart. And we're also going to pray that the Lord would move our hearts to speak his message. The message that we have to share is way better than a free place to live in West Palm Beach, Florida. It is. It's way better than turning sticks into snakes. It's so powerful. And I I, I pray that the Lord would move our hearts beyond our rational nose to share his message. Would you join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, would we've written a name down on a card. It's, it's someone that we care about. It's someone that we love. It's someone that needs to hear from you, needs to hear about you, needs to respond to you. It's, it's, it's the name that pops into our mind when we start thinking about people that we just would love to see you get a hold of. Father, we pray that sometime this week you would give us the opportunity through a word or a deed, an act of faith outside of our ability, that you would put us in a, in a place where it's apparent to this person that we are a sign from God, that the fact that we're trying to have a conversation with them about matters of faith, even if we're doing it poorly, that they would understand our hearts, that there's only one reason that so much bigger than our words is our love for them and our desire for them to hear about you. Father, we we ask that, and we also pray that you would move our hearts to share your message. We're not asking that you make us glib. We're not asking that you make us different at all, just that we would be moved to share your message. Because, Lord, we understand 
that yes, you can heal us of every fear, but there's power when we step through our disabilities or apparent disabilities and we're just obedient. That it's part of your plan. Heavenly Father, for some of us this morning, maybe we've never understood the love that God has for us and the lengths that you have gone to so that we could hear the gospel. Heavenly Father, some of us, maybe the movement that we need to make is making a decision of faith towards you. For some of us, Father, a prayer like this would be helpful. Heavenly Father, I have been my whole life thinking of how I'm not able to do this and I'm not able to do that and I'm not able to do every other thing and how I must be cursed by you because of it. But Father, I realized this morning that through my disability, you're actually honored. Lord, I, I confess that I've been too consumed with what I am not and I'm not consumed enough with who I am. And I realized this morning that the God of Abraham and Jacob and Isaac and Moses can also be my God. Father, I, I turn from depending on myself and my sinful ways. I accept the provision that you have made for me, the greatest sign ever, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I pledge myself to be known by you. Father, whether or not you heal my abilities or disabilities, I want to be defined as obedient. And Lord, that's the prayer for the rest of us this morning as well. May our hearts be moved to obedience that we would share your message. Father, empower your saints, even as you empowered your man Moses. This week, may we all step up. We ask these things in Jesus' name.